If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Oh, yes, it's that time again, boys and girls, for the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. And I am so excited to uh, welcome you to our podcast. My name is Keith Giles. Uh, I am the uh, author of Jesus Unbound, Liberating the Word of God from the Bible, and I am joined by my good friends and co-hosts, Matt and Jamal. Say hi, guys. Hi, friends. This is Jamal. It's great to be back on the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. And this is Matt DiStefano. Uh, So excited to be here. I am the author of Jesus Untangled. Oh, wait, that's not it. Heretic and a couple... And like three other books. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here. What episode are we on? Like 37? Man, it's been a blast, guys. Uh, who's counting? Honestly, I'm who's hey, counting? can I just say something? We're, we're recording post-Thanksgiving. <clears throat> and Thanksgiving is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite holidays <clears throat> in the entire Not year. mine. I, 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 I love it. <laughs> Not anyway, anymore. <laughs> we're just, we've got so many things to be thankful for. But one of the things I'm yeah. thankful for is, is you guys. Um, very thankful. Aww. For yeah. for you, you guys are, you guys are like actually, you guys are the light of the world. Not even like the light of the world. You just are the light of the world. Got him. God is light, you know. And um, Jesus said it. He told us that we were the light of the world. So I just want to th- thankful for you guys, your presence in my life, and uh, being on this podcast with you guys has been this last year has been a joy. And also want to give a shout out to our producer and uh, publisher, Ralph Palendo, for the addition of, of his family he's uh, he gave birth to a son or he didn't his wife did give birth i hope he, to, I hope he didn't yeah. to a son leonidas so we want to welcome leonidas into this this dimension yeah so, welcome to the dimension yeah. yes welcome. yes, yes. Welcome. <laughs> and yeah so cool. same here man i'm thankful for you guys too and and uh this podcast is one of my favorite things in the world i'm so glad uh we did this and it's been awesome so good and the yeah. buckeyes beat michigan soundly badly Blew them out of the water. I'm very thankful mm-hmm. for that. I think that's a divine mm-hmm. blessing on, on my part for me. Yeah, you would say that. But in the spirit of giving thanks, um, we have a Patreon page and we have like, I don't know, so many supporters that that support us on Patreon. And so we're also very thankful for you all um, who have obviously taken something from the show and then given back and and returned the blessing uh, to us in supporting the show that's not it doesn't you know it's not free we we have to pay for all this and we have to you know devote our time and our effort and hosting websites and all that so thank you so much for um for seeing that need in our lives and and meeting that um so so thank you so much if you want to be a supporter on patreon uh it's patreon.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash heretic happy hour we would be so happy if you decided to um to do that if you have the means. And also, we have a store. So if you go to our website, heretichappyhour.com, there's a link on there for a store. And we've got some mugs. We've got some swag. Christmas is coming up. So I don't know. If you want to give a, a mug, if you've got like a fundamentalist friend who you kind of want to <laughs> poke and prod, yeah. get, get him a sweatshirt or a t-shirt, something like that. There's some great so, stuff uh, there. Yep. Yeah, there, there's some good stuff on there. And uh, Ralph designed that. And um, gosh, some of, the, some of the stuff on there is, is so clever. So go to that store. And um, also one last thing, and, the, and then we can move on. I have to give thanks 
so, so very much. First of all, Keith had the idea um, to have a GoFundMe page for um, my family, my wife's family, who, you know, as we said in the last episode, and unless you've been living under a rock, um, California was on fire and we just got some rain. The fire's out now. But um, before that happened, you know, my the town I grew up, Paradise, California, burned down and a bunch of other people. So many people lost their homes, lost their livelihood and all that. And you guys all and gals and, and everyone stepped up and donated to the GoFundMe page. And we actually exceeded our goal. And so I'm just like so, so very thankful for everyone who decided to donate to the GoFundMe page. And it's, you know, we didn't, we earned some money for people who lost their homes and it's not going to recover everything, but it helps so very much to get people back on their feet and get basic necessities. And so I'm very thankful for everyone who decided to donate to GoFundMe. I'm, we're truly blessed and very, very thankful and humbled by uh, everyone's generosity. Yeah. Yeah, thank you everybody who uh, who contributed. We went way over the goal, and that was really awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. So, hey guys, I think it's time actually for the heretic of the week. It's the heretic of the week. Hi, my name is uh, William Paul Young, and I am absolutely honored to be the heretic of the week. Hi, Hi Paul. Hi, guys. Well, Paul, we're so blessed to have you on here. Um, really excited to talk to you today. And uh, we'll just what we what we ask our guests um, the first what what our first question is is why you're a heretic or why some people call you a heretic. And I want to dis- make a disclaimer: you're not allowed to say because you wrote the shack. You got to expand a little bit. So why do some people call you a heretic? Well, you know. <laughs> Unfortunately, the term heretic has kind of become synonymous with apostate, you know, which it never was in the early church. In the early church, a heretic was somebody who was just mistaken. You know, oh, he's a heretic. But they always treated each other with a great deal of respect. We've sort of lost that. So nowadays, when somebody says you're a heretic, they they kind of mean you're an apostate. That is that you've fallen off the wagon completely. And... um so uh, if I use the early church understanding, it just means that I've, I've been mistaken. And, you know, I'll absolutely admit to that on many, many uh, fronts. Um, so I'm a heretic because I make mistakes. And then, um, uh, but the, the way people use it, especially my people, you know, modern evangelical fundamentalists, right, <laughs> like, my, right. like my mom. My my mom when she when she tried to read the shack because she heard about it from her hairdresser and her doctor before she heard about it that you know and she didn't even want to admit that I was her son to them in case you know it was heresy and so when Papa as a large black African American woman God the Father came through the door in the book she just shut it and uh, called my sister called my sister and said your brother is a heretic and uh, and what she meant by that was. He's he's gone off the deep end, you know. He is um, he's deluded, and uh, so you know some of my people think think that way about stuff that I say and write. And um, but you know that definition doesn't really apply to me. I don't think it it might, but uh, I don't think it does. I'm you know if you if you begin to live a life that actually is coherent, there's got to be something right about the journey you've been on. And um, and I have this sense that the Holy Spirit is a redeeming genius, that the the movement of our lives is toward 
light and truth and and love. Um, the hard part is that that the dark places of our heart have to be exposed for our freedom to even um, begin to be a possibility. And um, but uh, like the man born blind, people can tell me all they want theologically that I'm a heretic, and I'm going like, but you know what? I have no secrets. I have no addictions. Mm-hmm. I've got great relationships. I, I love with a capacity that I never was able to when I was growing up inside the institutional church structure. Yeah. Right. Um, with with very uh, codified and limiting ideology and theology. Um, and so, yeah, um, I'm sort of the guy born blind, and you can say all you want, but at the end of the day, I'm going like, hey, I can see stuff. And, right. Right. Uh, and I don't maybe have a have your kind of theological persuasion about it, but there's a coherency to my life that's an apologetic, right? And uh, and I'm good with that, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a there's an experience in your life that you're like, okay, you realize theologically, if we're honest, we're all going to get something wrong, yeah. But but what I'm experiencing here, you can't theologize away, and so it's like, how do we deal with that? And a lot of people. I've found are are a little bit leery of their experiences. And so they kind of want to discredit yours, but you just, you can't ever escape them. And you're like, man, I've, I've experienced this God that I'm trying to put into words and it might be a little more out of the box than people are used to, Yeah, but, it, but it's not something you can turn off because you've experienced love, you've experienced grace, you've experienced mercy and all those things. And it's like, well, what do we do with that? You know? And, and transformation. Right. You know, a, a lot of us want to spar with our minds rather than ever get to know one another. And uh, right. relationship sort of breaks the rules because it's part of experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I hated this guy until I met him. And, and right, then, right. And now what do I do? You know? Right. And it's like, well, yeah, he must be faking goodness. That's the, that's the way we thought about it when we, right. we were growing up in the church. All, only Jesus people could be actually good. <laughs> all, yeah. all those other people were just, you know, they were, they looked good, they acted good, and they seemed really good, and they seemed to love their kids, sometimes right. a lot right. better than maybe our parents did, but it, they had to be faking it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it seems like that's, that's the thing about um, anyone who's different from us, right? We tend to do this thing, this, this tribalistic way of thinking where, uh, where we lump we lump groups of people who aren't like us, who don't think like us, into these groups, and we demonize them, right? So, uh, all well, that's a great that's a great way to put it because the Greek word for accuse, you know, and it talks about how Satan is the accuser of the brethren, you know. Yep. That word in the Greek is categoro or categorizomai, which means to categorize. Mm-hmm. So, as yep. soon as you put people into boxes, as soon as you make them the other. Yep. and you categorize them, you have joined the side of the accuser. And uh, that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of serious. Yeah. And maybe we should stop doing that. Yeah. I don't know, yeah, just, just, a, just a thought. <laughs> well, yeah, and you know, and it's like, it's like the, the cure for that, at least in my experience, has been like, you know, somebody says like, all oh, homeless people are lazy and, and they lie to you and they rip you off. It's like, well, no, you can't say that if you actually know some people who are really homeless and you can put it right. in a name and a face to, and like next time someone says that, you're like, well, wait a minute. No, 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 they're not. They're not all like that because I know some that are absolutely not like that or all gay people are, you know, have an agenda and they want to destroy marriage and they want, they hate the family. Like, no, they don't. I, you can't say that if you actually meet some people who are gay 
And then you realize, Correct. well, no, they're, they're not like that at all. So the cure seems to be, like you were saying, like getting to know people and learning to love them and find out that they're not these, uh, the horrible, you know, evil people that we've been, we've told ourselves or we've, we've allowed people to tell us that they're like, Yeah. Yep. Relationships break the rules. That's a quote from Jim Henderson out of Seattle. Mm. And, um, and it's true. It's true. You know, that you can have the guy pounding the pulpit anti-gay until his son comes out of the closet, you know? Oh, yeah. mm. yep. And then, and then all of a sudden the conversation completely changes. No longer <laughs> about ideology. It's about someone that I actually love. That's right. And, uh, and that changes the entire landscape of the conversation. Yeah. Love, right. love does change. Right. So, so yeah, once love is in yeah. the equation, it really does change the, it's not just a conversation about information or, uh, a topic, you know, some sort of this, um, some sort of topic over here. We're just going to discuss academically when it's yeah. about real people you love all of a sudden that coming into the equation really does change things, which may, maybe that's why Jesus wants us to love people. Oh, yeah. For our sake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I I know a a, a man who's um, well received, well recognized in the evangelical modern evangelical community, a friend of mine, and um, he said at one point he said here's here's what's so sad about this, and he grew up in the same world as I did, where we were, you know, we had a greater relationship with eternal conscious torment, you know, than we did with Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yep. The motivation of our life was fear, uh, other than shame. Shame was kind of deeper than fear, but fear was number two. And um, and he said, "Here's the here's the crazy thing." He said, "In in my own de- uh, my own deconstruction journey, he said I was able to disassociate my humanity enough that I could send my own kids to hell." Yep. But he mm-hmm. said, as soon as I had grandchildren, I couldn't do it anymore. Wow, and he said mm. it was it was grandchildren that changed my world, mm. and and I get that because there is some, and I'm we have twelve grandbabies who are wow. eleven years old and under, and and um, the relationship you have with a grandchild is significantly different than with your own child. Your own child is still about you, you know. It's you're the one that's. Um, whose reputation is affected, you're, you know, it's, mm. it's still about you. When you're a grandparent, hopefully, by the time you get to be one, your kids have beat the snot out of your self-centeredness. Amen to that. Yeah, and so it's, it's not about you anymore. It's about them. And all of a sudden, when it's about the other, it challenges the ways that you've thought when you've created the categories of us and them. And, um, and the sad thing is that we're able, like he said, to disassociate with our own children enough, um, that we could send them to eternal conscious torment, you know, and we just do it in our minds as a theology, Hmm. but the relationship with his grandchildren is what penetrated through that kind of ideological mess. And it said, so you're now talking about these children and your life has shifted to not be so much about yourself. We can judge others when life is about us. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. so. so good. <clears throat> well, well, this is, uh, uh, Paul is Jamal here and it's an honor to, to talk with you here on the heretic happy hour podcast and really appreciate having you on. And, um, I, we actually met and we were talking a little bit before we 
push record, but we actually um, have some mutual friends. But we met, I actually met you in Dallas. I don't, you probably don't remember me. You were doing a book signing for for Eve uh, when Eve really. Ah, uh, at the little store? Yeah, Barnes & Noble. Yeah, 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 actually, yeah. I, think, I remember that. It might, yeah, I think it was Dallas or, or either TCU or I can't remember. I think it, it was TCU. Yeah, Fort Worth. And I had a profound experience at that book signing. Really? And it had to do with Eve. I had a, an elderly woman, and and you know how people bear in their bodies the wounds of their past, you know, and and she is she is um, she carries her losses with her. Mm-hmm. She she couldn't really look at you, mm-hmm. so she was looking down. Mm-hmm. But she comes up when I was signing. And she hands me this photograph, and it looks like it's from like the 19, early 1900s. It's one of those grainy black and whites, mm-hmm. and it's it's of a little girl who sit. I have it right over here. It was she was sitting on a stoop. Uh, she, um, looks like a poverty stricken little home, and um, just a cabin out in the woods. And she's and she had read Eve. And she says to me with her head down as she hands me this, she says, this little girl never comes out to meet anybody, but she really wanted to meet you. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. I remember that. I totally remember that. There was like a handful of us standing there. And I remember when. Yeah. 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 And I just like. Oh my gosh, that is one of the greatest compliments I've ever been given in my life. Yeah, so good. That obviously she had been so abused as a child that she had disassociated this one part of her that was still safe. And that child was never exposed to a potential of loss, especially with a man. Wow. And mm-hmm. uh, for, her, for her to want to come to meet me because she'd read Eve mm. was just like, oh my gosh. How cool is that's, this? That that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I yeah. I remember and actually at that same signing I remember you said something that really challenged uh just kind of like took a lid off my thinking a little bit and I uh, wanted to see if you could expound on it a little bit but you, the, the, the gist of what you were talking about was I think it was at a previous book signing at some point maybe it was for the shack uh this guy comes up to you and basically says, "Hey, I'm an atheist, uh, um but I just appreciate your work. I appreciated the book." And then you kind of challenged him on that. And you were like, well, you're telling me what you don't believe, but I, I'm in more. Oh, yeah. No, this is, yeah, this is, this is a guy. Actually, I, I quoted Jim Henderson earlier as uh, relationships break the rules. Well, Jim invited me to a, um, to a writer's conference in San Diego and partly to meet a friend of his. Jim, you, Jim's great. Jim is an ex-pastor who doesn't like the institutional church much, you know, but absolutely loves Jesus and the community of faith and and um, does some incredibly creative things. Well, one of the things that he did that got him uh, sort of noticed was that he went on eBay and he bought an atheist soul. There was an atheist who was selling his soul on eBay. Oh my gosh. And, and, uh, and, and for the, it was Hemet Meta, and Hemet had said, oh, okay. for every for every ten bucks somebody paid for his soul, he'd spend an hour in their place, the place of worship of their choice. So, so uh, Jim bought his soul for like five hundred and four bucks. <laughs> you know, it was uh, it's a recession, and uh, wow. you know, atheist souls just don't go for as much as they used to. And um, so uh, Hemet. Has a friend named Matt Casper. Well, Matt and 
and Hemet and Jim started a conversation and Hemet couldn't, couldn't uh, because of time constraints or whatever, couldn't do what he had said he would do, but, but Matt said he would do it. So Matt and Jim went around the country to churches, all kinds, high, low church, uh, Pentecostal, very non, you know, very structured churches, very conservative churches. Um, they went everywhere and they wrote a book together called Jim and Casper go to church. <laughs> oh yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah. so it's from, yeah, 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 yeah. So I go to San Diego and Jim wants me to meet Matt and Matt has read the shack and loved it. So Matt comes up to me and he says, the first thing he says is, well, Paul, you know that I'm an unbeliever, right? <laughs> and I said, no, you're not. He goes, yeah, I am. I said, no, you're not. He goes, I am so, <laughs> you know, like I offended him. And uh, I said, no, I said, you know, belief, belief is an activity, not a category, mm. you know, and frankly, I'm part of the, part of the tribe that made up that category. Yes. And, and, I, and most of us struggle with belief anyway and trust and doubt and all that stuff. So, you know, uh, I, I don't think you're an unbeliever. He goes, what are you talking about? I went, well, you know what? Just tell me what you believe in. He said, you want to you wanna know what I believe in? I said, yeah. He says, nobody ever asked me what I believe in. They always ask me what I don't believe in. And I said, no, I want to know what you believe in. He thought for a second. He said, I'll tell you what I believe in. I believe in the way that I love my children, my, my sons. Wow. He said, Paul, I, I did not know I had the capacity to love like this until I had my own sons. And I said, that's fascinating. You, well, obviously, it's not romantic love. Um, could you describe this kind of love as other-centered, self-giving love? He said, that's exactly what it is. Well, what he doesn't know is that that's the definition of agape. <laughs> You know, agape is other-centered, self-giving, sacrificial love. And he has just said, that's the love that is in me toward my children. Mm -hmm. That's what I believe in. in and, yep. and, and it's like, uh, okay. Well, I said, well, what do you think about life? And, and Jim had told me that Matt loves the natural order and the elegance of the natural order. And so... I mean, he launches into quantum theory and all this beautiful, elegant stuff. And um, I said, well, let me ask you a question. Do you, do you think someone can relate to your sons in a way that is absolutely wrong? And he said, absolutely. And, and I said, so, so far, you've told me you're an unbeliever, but you believe in love, not just any kind of love but <clears throat> other-centered, self-giving love. You believe in life and you believe in truth. <laughs> and you're telling me you're an unbeliever. <clears throat> so that, that started our relationship. And, and at the end of about two-hour conversation, <clears throat> excuse me, he says, he leans over, and as we're saying goodbye, he puts his arm around me, and Jim is standing right there. And Jim tells me as soon as Matt walks away, he says, Paul, he said, that is the greatest compliment I've ever heard Matt give another human being. Because what Matt says to me is, I'm just thrilled to know that you exist. Mm. Wow. <clears throat> so now he believes in me too. So, <laughs> so <clears throat> you know, and, um, here, and here, here's what's great. You'll love the ending of, of part of this. About two years later, I get a call from Matt and he says, Paul, he says, Jim and I are writing a new book. It's called Saving Casper. But you still need to know that I, I, 
I'm still an atheist. I said, that's okay. I'm still a Canadian. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and he says, but would you write the foreword? I said, oh, are you kidding? I never get asked to write forewords for books by atheists. It's kind of, how cool is that? Yeah. So, so I wrote the foreword for this book and, and we sent it off to the, the Christian publisher and it comes back and it's totally been rewritten. And, uh, I mean, so much so that it's like, who wrote this? You know, I didn't wow. even recognize myself. Right. And Matt, Matt and Jim had loved the forward that I'd written. I mean, they took the whole first paragraph out and then all this other stuff. So um, I, and I, it made me laugh because that's just the way I look at all this stuff. It just makes me laugh. I, and Jim knows that, but Matt didn't know that. So, so I wrote back and I said, guys, you know, maybe I'm not the right person to write the forward for this because I, I can't let it go out like this. It doesn't, I don't even have my own voice in it anymore. Mm. Right. And so Jim, Jim knows that I'm thinking, how funny is this? In fact, I'm showing it to my kids. Look at this, look what they did. And, um, uh, but Matt thinks that I've been, you know, offended. So he writes me this, such an incredible tender email. And, and you'll love this line in it. He says, Paul, Maybe there's a way that you could rewrite it in such a way um, and, uh, and compromise somewhat because you have to remember we're dealing with Christians. It's baby steps. <laughs> I love that he's the one telling you how to deal yeah. with Christians. I know. I know. I know. I know. So uh, we did. So I ended up, you know, and, and here's the first line that got everybody so upset with the, the forward. I said this. if Luther and Calvin were right in declaring that forgiveness precedes confession and repentance. Then it would mean that forgiveness also precedes belief. Yes. Mm -hmm. That is beautiful. The game changer. No, no, wait, wait, but they made you, they made you take that out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I got it in other places, but, um, like <laughs> the, the, but, but, but it's true. Calvin and Luther were the ones that came on the stage of history and said, nope, forgiveness has to precede confession and repentance. And, and you know, here a few hundred years later, my evangelical community, the modern evangelicals, we've gone back to, yeah. nope, you got to confess and repent before you get forgiven. Yeah, that's... And it was Luther and Calvin that said, that's absolutely fundamentally wrong. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, and they would. And it changed yeah, the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can you, can you unpack that a little bit more? I'd like to, I'd like to land, you know, spend some more time on that a little bit. Like, so the idea then is that everyone is already forgiven. If I'm understanding what you're saying, right? Everyone is already yeah. forgiven. Forgiveness is yes. automatic, right? And then comes. Yes. Uh, not automatic. It's automatic in the sense that it was accomplished in Jesus. Right. And um, so, yes. And, and there is nobody who is not in Christ. Right. And that's a really, that's an early church fundamental that we've sort of lost too. We, oh, yeah. we believe like all religions do, Christianity being one of those religions, in, in the necessity of separation. So we have a separation theology. And I'm not, I'm not talking about to the true gospel. I'm talking about my, what my people have adopted largely. Right. And that is that you begin separated from God and that you have to do something to get yourself across the great divide. Right. So, so here comes Jesus and, and Jesus is an afterthought to Adam. That is 
Adam screwed up the entire universe. So we're going to send Jesus in a rescue operation and we're going to, we're going to, and in fact, we'll even make, we'll call them the four spiritual laws. And the second of those is going to be, <laughs> you've, you've sinned and you're separated from God, which right. is why I call them the four spiritual lies. Right. Yep. Yep. And, like and my, my friend, my friend, theologian Baxter Kruger calls them the four spiritual flaws. <laughs> and, uh, so, um, but it, it, it necessitates separation and every religion on the planet requires separation yeah. because then, then we can tell you how to get unseparated. Those of us who are the professionals and, um, mm -hmm. so, and, and we can charge you for it. We'll, we'll call it something benign. Right. And uh, in fact, we'll make you really feel guilty about it if you don't, but, right. but, um, and it's on the gross, not on the net, just so you know. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> So, so we can charge you for it and help you get across the great divide. But here's the point. You have to save yourself. Uh, Jesus comes and he just creates the potential for your salvation. He doesn't actually accomplish it. So um, he, he, he does it if, if conditional, if you make the choice pray the sinner's prayer, even though it's not in the Bible or anything like it, yeah, and right. Jesus never uses it, right. it's now become the magic phrase of transportation. Mm -hmm. You get to transportate yourself across the great divide by doing something. So really, Jesus only accomplished the potential, and you have to actualize it. So ultimately, you have to save yourself. And this is what Calvin and Luther were so opposed to. They're going like, you think you have the capacity to actually confess or change without forgiveness being an absolutely af affected reality. That is, in Christ, you have been forgiven. You know, and this is, I, I was in Germany last fall and I saw Luther's uh, translation into English of the verse in Corinthians. For God was in Christ and reconciled, past tense, completed action, which effect continues forward, and reconciled the world, the cosmos to himself, not counting their sins against wow, him. that's beautiful. It is. It is. Right? Forgiveness precedes confession and repentance. Mm. And, and part of what we've done is that we've said, well, here's the gospel. The gospel is that you can receive Jesus into your life. That's how we've preached it. And we've said, so we need to have the altar call where you have the opportunity. And if you don't get the opportunity and you die, you're on the other side of the divide. So even though Adam was powerful enough to affect the entire creation and all of humanity, Jesus is just not that powerful. Sorry. Right, right. And that's the argument of Romans 5. And so um, rather than the gospel, this is the way the early church preached it. The gospel is not that you can receive Jesus into your life. The gospel is that Jesus mm. has received you into his mm. life, yes. into his anointing yes. in the Holy Spirit, into yes. his relationship with the Father. Yep. So this is about the fact that salvation has been accomplished in him, and now you in him get to work it out. So you'll never meet a person who's not in Christ because all of creation is in yeah. Christ. All of creation is created in Christ. Not anything that has come into being has come into being apart or separated from yeah. him. Right. And so this is the deal. 
There is no great divide. There is no separation. There is the delusion in our mind. We've turned our face away from love, from goodness, from kindness, from grace. And we cast a shadow by turning our backs to light. And our own shadows have now is the basis on which we define everything, including the character of God. And that's why we become a wow, I, I, And the And the cost, call of the gospel is to return. Just turn around, mm-hmm. face the truth. Come to know the truth of who you are so that the way of who you are can match And I it. think that's that's profound. And I think that's one of the reasons, um, just that that conversation that you, you know that you were having um, in Fort Worth about the the distinction between like the atheist who came and said, "Hey, you know, this is what I don't. I, I'm not a believer, or whatever." And then like you kind of blew apart that distinction, saying, "No, actually, we're the ones." And when I say we, I mean Christians by and large create these 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 um, and all religion creates these us and them categories. This idea of yep. some people are atheists, some people are not atheists, but I. I love what you talk about in the shack, like, and this is, uh, or, or specifically like the Jesus character in the shack basically makes this claim, Hey, look, I'm not exactly a Christian. And, uh, and I love that. (laughs) He he never was. It wasn't like he, you know, after the ascension, he's in heaven going like, Oh, if I'd have just waited 50 years, I could have become a Christian. (laughs) I think it's interesting that Jesus, um, the, the very, the very idea, like, I love how Jesus his claim, if he was ha- he, the title he used almost exclusively for himself was child of mankind, you know, son of man. Yeah. And, yeah. And I'm son, like, what would we say yeah. today? What would be the title today that we would use to describe ourselves? And I, I just, I personally, personally like the title of human because it's like, well, well, what's wrong with that? And, and, and just the essence yeah. of like, do we need another title to make another distinction? And I love uh, yeah. what you're doing in your work to like tear down these, I think, I mean, just really d- destructive and false distinctions that are, you know, the world doesn't need another category, another subgroup. Or whatever. Yeah. But, I tell my people, I tell my people only be a Christian when it's helpful. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, because sometimes it's helpful, but it's like Paul being a Roman when totally. it was helpful. Oh, that's a great point. You know, most, most of the time you didn't know he was a Roman. And but there were certain situations that showed up, and it was like, uh, no, you need to be a Roman right now. And he's like, I'm a Roman, and uh, and so it's like, why do we need a religious certification to justify our existence as an opposing mm. force? And it's no, we don't. Be a Christian only when it's helpful, which means most of the time it's not helpful. That's and um, so if people if people say, are you a Christian? I go like. Well, tell me what you think one is, and I'll tell you if I'm one of those, because I don't mind being one. You know, I, I, I grew up within the Christian religion, um, and, uh, but it's, for me, it's about a relationship with, the G- with Jesus. It's not only about following Jesus, it's learning how to live with Jesus in my life and, and, and how I'm living in, in, in his life and, um, and what that means, you know? So... Because Christianity is a religious title, most of the places in the world, right? You know, and and it and it means politics. It means mm-hmm. all kinds of damage. And um, so, be a Christian, but only when it's helpful. That's so good. Hey, Paul, we uh, we need to probably, unfortunately, um, come to the end of the conversation. But thank you so much for being our guest here. Our, our, the final question I'd like to ask is: um, Could you? Let us know what you're working on at the moment. Are you working on a book? And sure. where, where can people find you and what's coming up next for you? 
I'm I'm always working on stuff, and I always have been. Who just who knew that anybody else would care about it? You know, besides my friends and family. <laughs> and uh, so it's a the whole thing's a big surprise. And uh, um, I've got a co- I've got a project I'm working on right now. I'm actually um, helping with a conceptual uh, editing process for a translation of a book by Martin Schleski, who is a world class violin maker out of mm. Germany. And um, he's got a book called Der Klang, um, which is the sound. And it's, it's a significant book. And so, you know, we've got, he's not a real fluent English speaker. We've got a, 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 a German translator. And then we've got the editors involved on the publishing side. And I'm trying to work my way through it because I've got to know Martin. And... Um, and I love him. And I, this book is really amazing. So that's the project that's right in front of me. Yeah. I have the potential. This one, you'll love this. So I got, I, I'm in the final stages, stages of a contract with one of the, the largest opera companies in the world. And uh, they want to make the shack into an opera. And, and the company is out of Moscow. And so they called me up and they went like, we would love to do and. The shack as an opera, wow. and, we, and we think we think you should write the libretto. Would you do that? And I went sure. And then I had to look up what a libretto <laughs> is. You know, yeah, I would too. And, yeah. and it's 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 everything they sing. It's all the lyrics. Oh my and, god! And uh, so that could be a really kind of uh, uh, an intensive uh, process itself. We can't actually produce it until I think it's three years after the movie came out. I think that's oh, yeah. three, three or three and a half, but, but we can, we can start working on it. So that's a project that's coming up. And, um, but there's always writing stuff, uh, that I'm working on. Who knows, you know, yeah. I could be dead by tomorrow. <laughs> that's right. So Great. I'd rather live in the grace of today. Yeah. Well, Paul, thank you so much for being our guest on the Heretic Happy Hour. We are honored. Uh, so blessed. We probably could have talked for another, you know, easily another hour uh, on this stuff, but, yeah. um, very grateful. Thank I'm honored honored to be with you guys. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Yeah, thank you thank for the you conversation you're having. Yeah, Appreciate blessings it. on you. Heaps and heaps and on your families and yeah, your likewise. kids. And, yeah, same, yeah. Yep. Thank you. Wow. Holy moly. William Paul Stinkin' Young. Wow. That That's amazing. How do we get that guy on this podcast? I don't know, but I have I'm no very idea. thankful. He's, uh, <laughs> I'm very glad <laughs> he came glad. on. That was yeah. really great. Yeah, he's he's a jewel, a gem. And uh, I'm really glad that, um, you know, I know there was some controversy early on <clears throat> about that story. You know, people were saying it's, a, you know, it, it promotes universalism and that kind of thing. And I actually think it does. And I think it's a good thing. And I'm oh, yeah. glad that um, he, uh, you know, he stuck to his guns with that. And, and, um, he, he, that's, that's something that he firmly believes that, um, that, that this good news, that the, in, the love of God is very inclusive and does not exclude anybody. And, uh, just such a powerful um, life that he's lived and it was just an honor to have him on the podcast for sure. Yeah, definitely. But that being said, didn't we miss something? I feel like, I feel like the intro to the show was kind of lacking. Yeah, let's go back and let's see, what do we do? We did the introduction. We did. Do we, have, do we have our Patreon notes? Page. Do we have our Go notes? Go find me page. Man, you know, of the week. With Thanksgiving, uh, with the Thanksgiving holiday, Thanksgiving. and there's so many things that yeah. was going on and, you know, it was just a lot of, my mind, I totally forgot that we have an announcement uh, to make. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, you guys ready? Ready for this? Okay. Yeah. Yep. Drum yep. roll. All right. Uh, Here yeah, we go. Uh, all right. Um, guys. Just in time for Christmas, we 
have a hotline. And yes. Yeah. And anyway, it is I'm, our way of it's, we're giving a gift to our listeners. This hotline is a gift to you guys. It allows us to communicate. And um, if you want to call in, you can, or you can leave it. Uh, you can leave a voicemail if the operators are, you know, on, on a on a coffee break or something. You can you can leave a voicemail, <laughs> or you can send a, a text message, which is like you know you just type things in. And if you send it in, we'll get it, and then we can we can read it on the air. So we do have a text that came in through the wires. Okay, awesome, awesome. Thank you for that. I got it. Here it is. Here's the text. Quote: Hey guys. Period. I was listening to podcast episode 36 and then kept on listening through some of your early podcasts. Hey, by the way, that's a great idea, by the way. Um, anyway, here we go. It is very interesting to hear you guys speak now versus then. Jamal, you sounded quite grounded in your faith and very sure of what you believed. <laughs> That's unbelievable. I'll play. <laughs> All right. You seem to know why you believe what you do. That's not to say anything negative about Keith or Matthew. It just seems I can see a bigger difference in their progression over the past year. And I think that is awesome. I'm not trying to be too assuming here. It is almost like they had to hash out some of their beliefs. And I really appreciate them doing that on air, so to speak. I love the vulnerability. I would love to hear all three of you discuss how you have progressed since the, since the podcast started. Did talking it out help in that journey? Have there been noticeable theological shifts? That's a great question. Mm. I got to say that not, not to diminish any of the texts we've gotten, but that is one of my favorite. Texts. Yeah. I think that was, that's that was a good really one. Yeah. yeah. Thank yeah. you. My favorite part is when he says, he says to Jamal, you seem to know why you believe what you do. And I think, well, at least, at least Jamal knows why. I'm not. At least Jamal knows. I don't know if anyone else does. Um, well, it's funny that he, I mean, I kind of appreciate that he noticed. Um, look, to me, to me, it's a good thing. I mean, I take it as a compliment that I'm somebody who's willing to change, you know, my beliefs uh, and to keep continue thinking and processing. You know what I mean? Like, I don't ever want to be somebody where the, the cement is dry and I, you know, and I'm, I'm un, unwilling to entertain new ideas or, or things like that. So, uh, hey, thanks, thanks for noticing that. And um, I hopefully, if you listen a year from now, I hope you continue to hear um, that we're continuing to process. And, and see, to me, that's just part of that growing and transformation process and deconstruction, whatever you want to call it, or reconstruction or whatever. Um, but uh, I think it's necessary. Yeah. Have you know? Have you? I guess the question was: Have have there been noticeable theological shifts? You know, I mean, and I think, you know, I don't know. I think it's really interesting that the that the listener, you know, was picking up on that. Um, I can just speak for myself. I think, you know, the, this idea. I know I used to be so. I, I mean, obviously, in my evangelical days, I used to like really believe something because you know this is what. You know, maybe I read systematic theology and this is what the reform position is or whatever. And this is the, the doctrine I asked. And that, that's a different kind of, I think, certainty than maybe, I don't know where I feel like I come from these days. It's not really based upon a doctrine or a set of, you know, it's not because I'm following this train of thought, but I do feel a, a sense of certainty in the sense of just an, an inner internal knowing of things, you know? So a lot, I don't know. I think what I find growing the shift theologically, I feel like I was probably on this trajectory, but 
you know, the, the more we have these conversations and, you know, um, w- with certain people and we've had some really cool guests. I mean, I, I think back to Richard Rohr, I think back to Carlton Pearson oh, yeah. um, and, uh, you know, just in a few others that just have really like, I don't know, they, they just really encouraged me to be able to just talk to them and have a uh, interview them and have conversation with them on the podcast. So for me, like I, I feel more solidified in the divinity of humanity. Um, I feel more solidified in the goodness of humanity, um, the inclusion of a humanity more than I ever have. And I, you know, that to me is not something I'm unsure about. I mean, I feel very sure about that, but not because of a doctrine or because of a Bible verse, just because of just the reality. I'm, I just sense that, you know, that's, that's kind of, that's where I'm at. Yeah. And I guess, <clears throat> excuse me, I guess, I guess for me, if I, if I could think back where it was a year, I don't think I've theologically shifted all too much, but I think my focus has been more on like, like how does, so, so for instance, like I'm, I'm a, a fairly convinced universalist and I still am, but as far as like, how does that help me engage the present moment? Like, I think it it's only good insofar as it gets rid of like the bad doctrines and it helps me live in the present moment. But in terms of like my shift in the last year, I'd say, well, I've gravitated more toward Buddhism because it it helps me <clears throat> engage what's here now in a more practical sense. Yeah, I knew that was coming. Um, but I think that that's where my shift has been, at least recently. Like, it's more on like, well, how... It's cool that I, I don't believe in hell anymore or that God beat up Jesus so he can somehow forgive us, like all that kind of stuff or the rapture. Like, so good theology, good Christian theology helped me get rid of those things. But I don't know if it's helped me necessarily live. OK, so what do I do now in the moment? So I think that's where I've sort of shifted. Like, what can I what what things can I focus on in my life that helps me engage now? And so that's where my my shift's been. I don't know if that's resonated on the podcast, but at least recently, I don't know if it's the last year, but at least the last maybe six months, that's been my shift yeah. personally. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I think, uh, do, we have, yeah. uh, do we have a voicemail? Yeah, I think we got a voicemail, right? Hi, guys. Um, I actually wanted to ask this question as well. I've been wondering it for a while, thought of it again with your little uh, church series. And then it kind of just came up perfectly as I am in the middle of listening to your most recent one. Um, but tithing, I've heard you and I've heard some other people bash tithing and say, we should just not do it at all. Um, and all of your conversation around the church makes it hard to kind of, um, I think, defend it at all because there was a lot of general, and now I'm using the word church for a building, and I know that's an issue too, but you know what I'm trying to say here. Um, so I still love traditional church for a lot of reasons, and I found one that uh, does a lot of great things and thinks hard about what they're doing, and um, yeah, for a variety of reasons, feels like home for me, and it's great for my spiritual journey, and I'm kind of trying to decide if or in what capacity do I contribute to that. So then you were talking about uh, Patreon and giving to you guys on Patreon, and I am struggling to figure out what the difference would be, because part of why I love this church is what's doing for my spirituality, what it is doing for the community, 
um, how it is helping people grow, all of these types of things. And that feels like kind of a lot of the same stuff that you guys are saying that you do and why we should give to you. So um, for one, I would love to hear your reasoning why tithing is bad. I don't necessarily disagree, but I also hear some good arguments for it. Um, but then tell me what the difference is between tithing to a church and uh, giving to you on Patreon, because those feel pretty similar to me in a lot of ways. So thanks. That's it. I appreciate all you guys do and can't wait to hear about it. Thanks. Wow. Well, that was great. Um, well, that kind of leads us straight into our topic for this entire podcast. So I think we should just jump in. Um, and we didn't plan that. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah but, it, just, but it fit perfectly, you know? Yeah. It's really because we had planned to do this topic a couple of weeks ago. And then uh, look at this. We have a, a perfect setup. Call that, uh, call whoever it, you are. Yeah. yeah. I call that synchronicity. Yeah. Uh, just so did Sting. I think Sting called it that too. Um, anyway, so yeah, that, uh, thank you caller for that, for that great question. And, um, I, I'll just, I'll give a little bit if I can, of my initial reaction and then you guys jump in too. But, um, so I, you know, the topic, so should Christians tithe? And I would say no for a couple of reasons. One is that tithing, first of all, her question, I think confuses giving or an offering with what's what a, what is literally a tithe, and usually when I grew up in churches anyway, and even when I was on staff at church, um, sermons around tithing uh, typically went to the Old Testament, pulled a bunch of scriptures from Malachi, and you know a bunch of scriptures maybe from you know Old Testament scriptures where God commanded that the the Israelites give a tenth, and that's what a tithe means. It literally means a tenth uh, of of their of what they had of their li- livelihood. But understand that the tithe was for, first of all, it was a command God gave to the nation of Israel and not to everybody in the world. And two, um, it was for some very specific reasons. So one reason is that there were, uh, there were 12 tribes, but one of those tribes was a priest, priestly tribe and didn't do any work. In other words, didn't um, you know plow the ground or raise livestock or things like that. The other tribes did. And I, and I believe uh, all the tribes, except for the, the, the tribe of the Levites, the priestly tribe, uh, were actually given land. And so since this one tribe didn't have the livelihood and didn't have the land, all the other tribes were to give a tenth of what they had to be a blessing to the, to the priestly tribe. Later on, when the temple was built, those ties were brought again to provide for the upkeep of the temple and mainly to provide for this priestly tribe. So understand that was an old covenant temple system, which doesn't exist anymore. There is no more temple. Uh, the temple in Jerusalem is gone. The, there is no more um, priest, pre, like a Old Testament priesthood. Uh, th- that those are, they're gone. Uh, even, even in the Jewish faith, there are no priests. And um, and there's no daily sacrifice going on either. In fact, Jesus fulfilled both all three of those um, pictures. Jesus Jesus himself is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus himself is our High Priest, and Jesus um, in the temple of his body offered himself as the sacrifice. Right? These are all the pictures we have. So that that old covenant system is fulfilled in Christ. And now, according to the New Testament, um, who are the who, who's the new priesthood now? Well, everyone who's in Christ. There's a, it's called the priesthood of all believers. So everyone is a member of the priesthood. Um, who's the temple now? Where's the temple now? Well, the temple isn't a building in Jerusalem. 
uh, we are the temple. The people are the temple of God. Uh, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit now. We're, we are where God lives, you know, by his, by his spirit and where he dwells. And so we're the priest, uh, we're the temple. And we, Paul even says we're, or Jesus even says we're the daily sacrifice, right? We daily offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God, as Paul says in, in Romans. So uh, bottom line, tithing was a old, old covenant, Old Testament temple system, which is now obsolete, according to Hebrews 8.13. Um, and by the way, historically, a lot of Christians don't know this, but, it, but did you know that the New Testament Christian church did not uh, officially institute a tithe until 777 AD under Charlemagne? So think about that. For seven over 700 years, no Christian ever tithed. Yes, thank you for that. That we needed that. So think about that. So, so in other words, this is something that came into the church much, much later, over seven hundred years. That's uh, a very long time before the Christian church decided to do that. Um, and one of my favorite verses uh, is from Tertullian—not verses, but one of my favorite quotes is from Tertullian in the second century. Uh, if I can read this real quick, and then I'm gonna—I'll shut up. Uh, because when it, when I studied church history and I saw what did the early Christians do. Uh, with their money. Well, here's here's what Tertullian says the church, the early Christians did with their money in the second century. He says, even if there is a treasury of a sort, it is not made up of money paid in initiation fees as if religion were a matter of contract. Every man once a month brings some modest contribution or whatever he wishes and only if he does wish and if he can, for nobody is compelled. It is a voluntary offering for this purpose, to feed the poor and to bury them, for boys and girls who lack property and parents, or in other words, orphans, and then for slaves grown old. It means they're, they're slaves who can't work anymore and take care of themselves and, and their families. So um, the, the Christian church took care of them. Tertullian continues, so we who are united in mind and soul have no hesitation about sharing property. All is common among us except our wives. At that point, we dissolve our partnership. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's what the early Christians did with their offering. They, and we know that in the, in the book of Acts. They laid their money at the apostles' feet for what purpose? To distribute it to the widow and the orphan and the poor among them. So uh, giving and offering, absolutely, we should do that. We should be people who give uh, to bless people uh, who need help. But tithing, which is something that's about fear and control, um, not only is it not a New Testament idea, it's an old covenant idea, which is long gone. So. Yeah. And I, and I like that you said that point at the end, like it's not, so to go to the, the, uh, the voicemail to the specific question, how is what we're doing different than tithing? Like in, in our minds, and I don't want to speak for you guys, but the way we've talked about it, like we're creating something for free. And if people want to give back in this voluntary exchange, they can do so. If they don't, we're still giving it for free and it's all good. And, and the way I understood tithing, it's, it's not necessarily about that. It's not the spirit of it. It's more like you need to do this because it's a mandate or it's God's law or it's a, what, what have you like uh, you're, you're essentially, if you don't tithe, you're offending God. And what we're doing here is saying we're creating something. If you would like to 
give us some money back, feel free to do so. That would be wonderful. We're, we're still going to dip into our pockets and dip into our time and yeah. give content to people regardless. If you want to give back, great. We're going to do our thing. If, if, if you give back, wonderful. If not, we're still going to do our thing. Tithing, I don't, I've never heard a pastor be like, if you can give, give. If not, we're still going to, um, we're still going to work every Sunday for you. We're still going to do all these things. Like I've never heard that sort of thing. Like this is a voluntary exchange. And if you can't give, that's cool. And if you can, wonderful. I, I've never heard tithing put that way in my churches. Yeah. So that's what I would say is a big difference. Like, yeah, I agree. We're not guilting you. We're not saying you have to give in order to listen to the show. Listen to the show. If yeah. you have some extra money, you're like, hey, I want to help these guys be able to do a show weekly or, or bi-weekly, whatever. Uh, cool. If not, it's all good. We're, we're, not we're saying, all we're it's all good. Yeah. That's, we're not saying you're going to be cursed by God. He's going to he's going to put holes in your pockets and right. Uh, he's not going to bless you and all that stuff. No. Well, he might, but. I, but. <laughs> <laughs> but probably not because of the podcast, right? I hope not. Like, no, come on, God. Well, chill you out. know, I kind of want to touch on, because <laughs> yeah. I, I love the I, what you guys are saying about that. There's a difference between the concept of tithing, which is, you know, you can make the case in the Bible that people should tithe, you know, or, you know, whatever. But um, I'm really not interested in that personally. But the idea of, but I am very interested in the concept of giving because giving is yeah. entirely different. Um, and I think here's the thing with giving is that there is, when you recognize, I personally really believe that this universe, um, if we look at it correctly, if we understand the way it works, <clears throat> it is a generous place. There is, there is just, it's teeming with life and, and everything that's needed for life. It just, it, it's there. And so I've recognized you know, and I think I really do believe Jesus understood this. So it's not like, hey, you know, anybody that's doing something because some book says you should do something is, first of all, I, I mean, that's just not healthy because, you know, you don't, you shouldn't do something because you're following a rule book. And the, so when people say, what does the Bible say about tithing? Well, I, I, I get that question. I understand it. I don't mean to be demeaning, but really it's the wrong question because it's like, who cares? You don't do things because a book tells you to do things. That's not the right motivation or hurt. This is, we want to be living from a higher state of consciousness. Like you don't love somebody because a book says you should love somebody. First of all, it doesn't even make you love somebody, but it's like you, you don't do stuff like that. But there is a principle of giving. It comes from the sense of gratitude and thanksgiving. So when you have, and speaking of thanksgiving, like when somebody lives their life with a sense of just gratitude and joy and abundance, they just feel like the there's this abundance, then there's this principle of like, just flow. Like if you can flow, like what you give is what you receive. It's like breathing. There's a principle in the universe. Like if you take in, you give out, if you give out, you take in, it's, it's this flow. So you give, you know, tithing isn't just about money. It's about what do you give away? It can be forgiveness. It can be your time. It could be your essence. So I've just made it a rule that I want to live my life in flow with the universe and not against it. So if, since the universe is an abundant, and not lacking, then I want to live my life in such a way that it's, it flows with the universe. So I give out grace because grace is the essence of the universe. Forgiveness is the essence of the universe. So it's just like, so Jesus like understood this principle and that's why he said, give and it will be given back to you. This is actually in the Bible. Give and it will be given back to you, pressed down, <laughs> shaken together, running over. I mean, 
you know, I get it. The prosperity preachers have like kind of ruined that, but it is true. Jesus did say that. And I have them, I have like learned this principle in my own life that man, if you just let things go because there's an abundance, there's just flow. So the more forgiveness you give out, the more you feel forgiven, the more you, you know, understand your own benevolent nature, your own good nature, the more you extend that to other people, the more you receive that back from other people, you know, all these kinds of things. So it's just like flow, let it go. So I encourage people. Yeah, you should give the Patreon for sure. Let it go for your own sake. Like whatever you find to be beneficial, let that flow go. If you've received or something, give it back, give, receive, let that flow happen. It's not transactional. I mean, unless you perceive it that way, it could be, it's all about perception though, but let it go. You know, I've learned the principle I have is in any situation, I want to walk away and say, what have I given? So if I have an interaction, even if it's at a a grocery store, if it's whatever, it's like, okay, I want to give, is there something I can give to this interaction, to this person, to the situation? And if you're thinking that way, the most people that I know that, um, the most generous people I know are also the people that, um, are seen like, if you look at their life, they seem to be the most quote unquote blessed people. But I think there's just a principle, like the more you give, the more it flows back into you. That can sound like prosperity theology, whatever name you want to put on it. But I actually believe that this is a prosperous universe. I don't think there's any lack in it. The breakdown is in the perception. Mm. Yeah. And I I also want to go back to um, this whole thing too, because as we're talking about tithing and we're, we're talking about these old Testament, you know, verses and all that stuff. uh, Here's the thing though, that I think we miss quite a bit and, and, and it gets confused, especially when um, modern American preachers tend to use these verses to talk about, you know, get it trying, basically trying to get people to tithe or to give more money to a building fund or whatever. Um, those verses about tithing and historically the tithe was grain. It was like maybe some livestock. Um, it wasn't money. It really wasn't, uh, about giving money. Your tithe was, um, because again, this was an agrarian society. And, um, so the things that were given, um, were, were, it wasn't money. So I think we've, we've made it all about money. Um, in the early, like, again, in the early church and the historical church, they did receive money, but again, when they got money, it was to buy food for people that were starving, and that was it. You know, the um, there, there's a lot of great verses uh, that get used quite a bit. Um, like quite often, I hear uh, pastors quote like from First Corinthians nine, uh, where Paul says, you know, um, he, he what Paul quotes the thing about how you know that if the ox is treading the grain, doesn't he get to eat? You know, from the grain as he's you know, don't muzzle the ox kind of idea, right? And they usually, they'll, they'll quote those verses in 1 Corinthians 9 to, to say, see, uh, Paul was all in favor of, um, uh, uh, they'll say pastors, but of course what Paul's talking about is apostles, which were traveling missionary evangelists who were planting churches basically in different places. They, they're not a guy that stayed in the same place and just, uh, you know, cared for and taught uh, people in the, same, in the same place, in the same sort of town or village. Um, because what Paul's talking about when he when he's in those verses, he's talking about again people who have left their home are traveling with only what they have in their hands, uh, hundreds of miles. It takes them weeks or months to travel, sometimes years to travel, uh, for the purpose of preaching the gospel, establishing churches in different towns um, at the risk of imprisonment and beatings and all kinds of stuff that that went on during those times. And when Paul says that, the kind of support he's talking about is. Again, 
um, a place to sleep for the night or maybe a basket of bread and some fish to get him to the next town. That's what support was. It wasn't $50,000 salary a year and a 401k and a benefits package and all that stuff, which is what we've turned it into. But I want to go back to 1 Corinthians 9 because I, I find that if you keep reading what Paul says in those in that passage, even though he does seem to make a case at the beginning that he's in favor of pastoral salaries or whatever you want to call that, about basically people being paid to, to uh, do the ministry of the gospel, uh, a lot of times people never quote, pay, your pastor will never quote this part, where Paul says, 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 12 and go through 18, Paul says, I would rather die than to get paid. He says, what is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. So yes, at the beginning, he says, don't I have the right to do this? And he says, well, of course, why not? But, but then he says, personally, and this is a very strong statement, Paul says, I would rather die than to have someone remove this opportunity from me to say that I would offer the gospel free of charge. Uh, in 2 Corinthians in 11, he says that uh, he also says something pretty strong too. He says, uh, writing again to the church in Corinth, he says, was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? And then he says, I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. So, okay, hang on a minute. Paul just equated receiving support from other churches as robbing them. Again, Paul's uh, uh, opinion about this isn't as clear-cut or as positive as I think a lot of pastors want to make it. Uh, what, What Paul seems to talk about a lot is that he worked with his hands. He provided for himself. He didn't want to be a burden on anyone else. Um, in this one case here, he says he received, he did receive support from other churches while he was in Corinth, but he said that was, I felt like I was robbing them when I did that, um, that he would rather not be a burden on anyone. And, and we know that Paul was a tent maker, right? Paul had a job and he supported himself financially um, as much as he could. Um, so this idea of pastoral support. I know I'm making a lot of friends right now, uh, a lot of the pastors listening out there right now, <laughs> but but there really isn't a lot of support in the in the New Testament or even in the early church history yeah. for financial support for what we would call a pastor today. When, by the way, what we call a pastor today never existed. Yeah, yeah and I, I would agree. I, I, I think, you know, in the traditional Christian world where pastors, you know, will talk, you know, use the Bible to justify their, <clears throat> you know, raising a salary and that kind of thing. I just, I think it would just be easier, more honest because history does not, as you well stated in this podcast, history does not support that. Um, the early church did not, Paul did not, you know, institute that the early church did not practice it. I, I don't, I personally don't have a problem if a pastor wants to be paid for running his uh, company, but which is called a church. But in the, you know, in, the, in, our, in our vernacular, I don't, I don't have a problem with that because again, I don't see it as right or wrong. I just don't think that it has, you know, people using making the Bible, and again, the Bible is a fourth century invented book, and it was not in existence prior to the fourth century. It's a compilation of writings. Again, we, you know, idea of this Bible is like, you know, this is a this is a selected compilation by a select group of people. So I don't, again, using this book to to like paint how we should live, and I, personally, I don't even care what Paul thinks about it. So Paul, I, it's interesting to me what Paul thinks about. It. Yeah, it's cool. This is so Paul had an idea. He he Paul faced a lot of accusations that people accused him of 
doing things for gain, doing things for money. So Paul was really trying to disprove a lot of people. I personally don't live my life that way. I don't want to live my life in such a way that's like I'm trying to disprove what people are saying about me. Um, I understand Paul thought he needed to do that because he wanted to preserve you know, the reputation of the message he was preaching, which I get that. I totally understand that. I'm not knocking him for it, I, but I just personally don't live that way. I don't have a problem if someone wants to take money for running a company because let's just be honest, that's what the that's what churches are. They're companies, and yeah, they become yeah. well. They didn't start no, off being no, no, companies, no, but they they become businesses today. Totally, They're totally, especially in the Western con- context in America. Oh, yeah. So I get it. And again, I'm I don't you know I don't have a problem with it if people are okay with that. You know, just like they would pay a motivational speaker. You know, they'd go to you know that's basically what the modern pastor is. And they go and they give speeches every week and. I know they would say they do much more than that. And yeah, it is. To, it's hard to be CEO. I get it. So you want to run a company? It's tough. It takes a lot of time. You should be paid if you want to do that. But don't use guilt. Don't use this book called the Bible to make your case for you because you're going to, it's just not honest. It, it, just to say, hey, look, I'm running a company. And just like any other, actually, I come from a, a years ago, I was a part of a, a mega church in which they had a deacon board that would approve the pastor's salary. And that's exactly what they did. They, they looked at comparable companies that had a, had a, had a, an annual budget around the same that this church did. And they looked at corporations and said, okay, the CEOs of these corporations, this is what they make. And they used that chart to determine what the pastor's salary was. And they were open about it. That's honest. Now they try to use the Bible to justify this is what God's will is. Now I think that's dishonest and that's, that's maybe they don't know that they they probably think that, but that's, they're just going off what they've been taught. But again, that's just, there is no case for that um, in church history or even in the Bible. It, it just, it, look, just call it what it is. You're paying a CEO to run a company. And when people call and say, this is my church, it's a company. You belong to an organization. It's not the church, but anyway. Yeah, that's what I feel. And I feel, I feel like I haven't said much this episode because I'm just like, yo, I've never been a pastor. I've always looked at this whole thing like it was just a, it just seemed like a business trying to make money and all the, you know, everyone had a huge sound. And I was like, this is, you know, I think about, sorry, I think about like the, you know, the early church, the apostles, even the Didache where they, I mean, there's this great quote in the Didache about like, I mean, basically anyone asking for money is a, is a false prophet if they're going to preach the gospel. And I'm like, huh? Like we've gotten so far removed from that, that now we can go on Forbes and like, <laughs> we can check the like highest paid pastors. And it's just like, it just seems so far removed from, from the, from the early church. And I'm with you. I mean, I'm got, I've gotten to the place and I'll just be vulnerable for a second. Jamal, I've gotten to the place where I'm like, I don't care what the Bible says about tithing. Like, I, I love Paul, but if he says like I would rather die than to get paid for the gospel, like okay, that's cool, that's your opinion, but I think we put too much emphasis on these on on on, and, and I'm just gonna be frank here on these historical figures that spoke to their time and place, sure. and I'm like, I don't, I don't really give a fuck what some of these people thought about some things, right? You know, like it's like yeah, we go back to the episode about women and Paul. I don't think Paul was misogynistic, but if he happened to be, then fuck off, Paul. <laughs> you know, and so in the in the same thing, like the Didache says, like if someone's asking for money, he's a false prophet. Well, maybe in in a certain context, but not. I don't know if in every context. Sure, sure. Like we we ask money for this show, and it's like, well, but this is what it is. Like 
we have to pay we have to pay a server we have to pay uh we have to pay zencaster which is the host that we do the show on all we're doing is to say we're gonna we're gonna tell our thoughts but we're not sitting out there like preaching the gospel we we happen to talk about the gospel um but it's not it's not the same context so sometimes it's just like well who cares what the bible says about tithing who's i mean the bible says stuff about slavery we wouldn't apply that today my god if we did we would be advocating for slavery and people did And, and, and so it's like i don't know like i feel like i've been listening to this you know, listen to you guys talk. I haven't chimed in too much because I'm like, like, yeah, if if people have to pay their bills, like, I don't care if a pastor gets some money to pay his bills. I, I why would I want this pastor who I'm listening to sit on the street? And, you know, of course, I wouldn't want that. But at the same time, like we've gone so far and it's like you could be a celebrity pastor and make like seven figures like that's bullshit. So it's like, I don't know. Yeah. So I got I've got a story I got to tell. It'll be real quick. But I Years ago, when I still did really believe in tithing, um, and I felt like it was something I had to do. Um, so Wendy and I had just moved to California. Um, my first son had been born. We were financially, we were really strapped. And um, we literally had to pray about and make a decision one Sunday morning. Were we going to tithe like $100 um, or if we were going to pay a bill? because we needed to pay some bills. And that was, I mean, either way, when we wrote the check, we were going to be broke. And we, we prayed nice. about it. And our decision was, well, because we believed in tithing, that, well, we've got to go on and give God his $100 and then tr- just trust God to uh, help us pay our bills. So we did. We wrote a check for 100 bucks. We dropped it in the plate on Sunday morning. And um, even before service was over, my wife, I think, went outside, went to the bathroom or went to check on our, our son or something like that. Anyway, she ran into one of the uh, associate pastor's wives uh, and she came over to, to Wendy and said, you know, I really felt like God wanted me to give this to you. And she gave her an envelope. And when Wendy opened the envelope, there was a hundred dollar bill inside. Now at the time that really reinforced our belief that God wanted us to tithe first. And we said, see, God, God honored our decision to give him the hundred dollars first. And then he gave it right back to us. Uh, and that was the way we understood that story for the longest time. But now that my, my perspective has changed, I look at that story and what I see is that what I feel like God did was God said, you numb nuts, what are you guys doing? I gave you $100 to pay your bills and you just gave it away to this stupid church. It's already got like, you know, eight pastors on, on staff in a, in a building that's worth like $6 million. So, yeah, so I think he's just said here, he gave us our money back. Uh, that's how, that's how I understand it now. It could also be that the principle of what Jesus was talking about, give and it will be given back to you. I mean, I, I've I've experienced that in so many ways. It's just like this idea. I know it's it's more like karma. It's, it's karma, like karma right? totally. So right. whatever you sow is what you reap. But that is it, it is true. I mean, I really do believe that that as you let things go and trust and just you know live because that's that is actually in flow with the universe the way the with the way the universe is created i really believe god create set things up that if you cooperate with these i don't know, if you want to call them laws or whatever uh, of nature then that's you experience the the flow of that you experience the life of that and i really encourage people to give not because you should or not because the bible says so or not because any of those reasons just because man like it's, it really feels good. <laughs> like 
Jesus said it's ble- it's blessed it's more blessed to give than right. to receive. So in, even in that you receive, but it's like I, it, there is a principle of that. Like it is just so rewarding. It's it's in line with love. It it just like you, you know I feel like a lot of the world's problems are because of hoarding and a lack of giving. So we we are not reflecting reality correctly on the earth. You got starvation, you have people starving, you have poverty, which should never, I honestly believe that should not exist. Um, I agree. If human beings were living in flow, I mean, there is enough resources in this world. By the way, this is what my next book is about this very thing. You know, I touch on this in the book, but there is enough resources in the world that nobody has to starve. Nobody has to, but it's all about a consciousness because we're, people are just so like living in this area of like, of lack or the sense of like, there's not enough to go around. So there's this hoarding or, or when people do give, it's because they're trying to like follow a rule book when it's like, no, just, just let it go and and recognize that there is, we live in a generous universe. I really believe that very strongly. Yeah. I, I think I agree with most everything. I would just make sure to nuance that we can't create like a law about like, if you give, you're going to get blessed. Right. Like that's what the prosperity gospel sure. teachers do. And so I would just always, and I know Jamal, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll track with me on this and I'm sure we'll agree, agree, but you know, it, we can't create a law as if, as if we're going to give and give and give, and somehow we're going to get back and back and back. And I know that's not what you're saying. It's just, it seems to be the case that, it, you know, if you give, and you give freely and you give without, you know, this quid pro quo and this economy of exchange, it's not formulaic. Right. You'll, you'll, you'll feel good about yourself. You'll actually experience, um, you know, blessing it. But just to say like, it's not going to be, it's not about that bullshit. Like, sow a seed a dollar <laughs> and you're going to get a thousand dollars back and some yeah. formula. I know that's not no, what no, you're no. saying, but I know, I know that's going to trigger some sure. people and who especially maybe have been duped by, the prosperity gospel preachers who, who are, you know, who are going to be triggered by that yeah. bullshit. That's not yeah. what we're saying, but it is this, there is this, um, this liberating, um, this, this sort of like you're blessed in some way that you can't quite express. And it's not monetarily, it can be, but it's not necessarily, it's not a formula again, but when you give yourself to others, you're blessed in so many ways that, that you can't create a formula right. out of it. Because it's just it's spontaneous, it's um, it's different, it's unique, it's creative, you know. So it's just to just to caught like anyone who's triggered, like that's not what we're saying. Exactly. Yeah, it's good to give, and I agree, man. Giving is what it's about. Tithing is about control, right? Um, and doing it because you're supposed to, or out of fear. But giving is a beautiful thing. And we all right. Yeah. And we need to we need to distinguish the two. I think that's important. Yeah, I agree. Amen, brother. Hallelujah. Pass the plate. <laughs> Go to our Patreon page, guys. <laughs> That's a right to the last second. <laughs> <laughs>